Welcome to Inside Athletic Training, a podcast from the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainers Society, where major league and minor league athletic trainers share insight into athletic training at the highest level. On episode two of Inside Athletic Training, we spoke with Corey Tremble, who recently completed his 15th season with the Detroit Tigers organization and his 10th as the minor league medical and rehabilitation coordinator. Following the 2017 season, the Tigers organization named him the Dwight Lowry Player Development Person of the Year. He was also named the Medical Coordinator of the Year by the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainer Society in both 2021 and 2022. Now let's get into the show. Corey, welcome to Inside Athletic Training. We're happy to have you on the show for episode two. We like to start each show by asking our guests if they can share some information with our listeners about the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainer Society. Can you go ahead and share some information about PBATS and what the society means to you? Sure. Well, first off, thank you for having me on, Sam. This is a great opportunity, and and I love this format and this this uh, this time that you're giving me to to speak on my career and PBATs and everything professional baseball. When it comes to PBATs, uh, the the great part about PBATs is an educational foundation, and, it, and its backdrop is in is truly in the education realm uh, for pushing athletic training, especially in baseball, forward. So for me, what's great about it is it gives another outlet for professionals within the uh, the ranks of baseball to give of themselves to something bigger than themselves. Uh, and that's where PBATS for me has kind of landed. It's been able to give me an outlet to improve my leadership capabilities and, and really push the, the uh, profession forward, not just in my own little area with the Detroit Tigers. That's great. That That's super helpful for the listeners. Um, so you're currently the minor league medical and rehab coordinator with the Detroit Tigers organization. Uh, you're also extremely passionate about the overall profession of athletic training in general. Uh, I'd love to learn more about your background and what paths led you to where you are today. So let's get started. Um, you know, take me through uh, your life growing up, where you're from, um, what you did as, as an athlete growing up, and also where you found your passion for athletic training. Sure. So it all kind of started. I'm from North Jersey and it all started with my love of the New York Yankees growing up as a big fan of them. And when Don Mattingly, who was my, my favorite player growing up was retiring, I figured that I was just going to step right in and be the next first baseman for the Yankees. And that was all she wrote. Uh, but unfortunately that didn't happen. So I had to figure out a new path and I was lucky enough in that area to see the media kind of give uh, Gene Monahan, who was the longtime head athletic trainer for the New York Yankees, sort of like a celebrity status. And I always kind of gravitated to, I wonder what that guy does. I wonder what that role is. That seems like a, a pretty neat job, uh, if you will. But I didn't know anything past that. And I was fortunate enough to have an athletic trainer at my high school named Rob Rayberg. Um, and he was the one that really lit the, the fuse for me in, in the profession, kind of gave me my introduction into the profession as a senior in high school. I did a work study program as a senior in high school. So I knew going into college, the, the path I wanted to go. And it was in, in sports medicine and athletic training. Now at the time, I didn't know if it was going to be in baseball, but I knew that I wanted to be an athletic trainer. Uh, and as I got to undergrad at Florida Southern, that's when things kind of shifted to more of a uh, baseball focus. And I had some great mentors at, at Florida Southern with Sue Stanley Green, who's a you know, Hall of Fame athletic trainer, U- University of Kentucky for many, many years. And and she really 
pushed us all to, to do things bigger than we thought we could. So that was really the, the next step for me was, was linking in with a, with a professional baseball team. And luckily enough, the Tigers do the spring training in the same city as, as Florida Southern is in Lakeland, Florida. And that's kind of where I was at. Now, obviously growing up, I was a, a baseball player because, uh, you know, I thought I was going to take over for Donnie baseball, but unfortunately that didn't happen. So, uh, you know, but that also gave me that, that added piece because I love the history of the game. I love watching baseball. I love being around baseball. So uh, it's one of those, those things where if you can marry your profession with your love, it uh, works out pretty well. And that's what I've been able to do because of growing up in a baseball family and, and being around the game and loving the history of it it kind of gave me uh, a leg up on the competition, if you will, about getting in because it, it, it never felt like, you know, going to work or, or a job. It, it always felt like, and it's still to this day, I never get up and dread coming to, to the office. It's always what, what challenges are going to be there every day. And, and I, I look forward to that. Um, and so, you know, that, that's, that's where I, I kind of started my professional love of athletic training and it started early and I knew I was focused early and I was lucky. I find myself as, as one of the few, I think that has that passion early on, but I knew as soon as I was around it as a senior in high school and then continued in college that this was, this was where I was going to land and this is what I was going to do. Yeah. It's a, it's like all of us. We thought we were going to be the next great player in, in major league baseball. And of course that dream dies for, for us all at some point, but you know, moving on, <laughs> you're, you're, right. you're one of the lucky ones who gets to stay around the game of baseball. Talk about what it's like getting into the world of professional baseball, athletic training. Uh, first of all, at the minor league level, I know uh, it's a necessary path to get to a hugely important sure. position of, of being in charge of all the athletic trainers at each minor league affiliate level, like you are now. Um, but what were those, those early days in minor league baseball, like for Corey, you know, that, that, Minor league baseball is the proven ground for a lot of athletic trainers. Yeah, you learn to either love working here or you learn not to love working in, in this setting. Um, unfortunately, for athletic training in general, we're we're locked into the setting that we work in a lot of the time, and so I feel that you know you have to understand like is this setting for me or is it not? So starting out early on, I knew that I love baseball and I love being around baseball, so that was an easy in for me to know that, okay, no matter what, at least I'm going to a, a place and a sport that, that I enjoy being around and watching and, and being a part of. Then it just becomes, you know, the growing aspect of you as a professional is getting better at your skills, uh, making your mistakes. And that's, what's great about the minor leagues is I always tell young athletic trainers. And I also tell young players the same thing is that the minor leagues is a great place to make mistakes. Now that doesn't mean you can continue to make them, but it is a great place to make mistakes, learn from your mistakes and grow from your mistakes. And I think uh, for all of us that are, that have been in the game for any amount of time would look back at their time in the minor leagues. And especially those of us that are still in the minor leagues and look back early on in their careers and shake their head at some of the things that we, we thought was the right move or we thought was the appropriate thing to do at the time. And then realize, you know, that we've, we've grown from there, but all the best stories, all the best experiences, all the, the real growth you do as a clinician, as a person, as a professional happens in the minor leagues. And I was fortunate enough to, to really have some great mentors and some, some great leaders coming through my lower levels of the minor leagues to kind of allow me to grow and allow me to make those mistakes without having too much uh, consequence on the back end. 
And you, you talked about, you know, a lot of the people you got to know at the minor league level and, and Ben Potenziano with the Marlins, our, our guest last week did the same. Uh, what are those relationships like, um, as you continue to grow throughout your career? Is it, is it cool seeing, you know, colleagues and interns you worked with later on in your life and your career in baseball and, and just share a little bit about those relationships and how important those can be for you. So, yeah, I've been very fortunate with just some of the people that have decided to give me their time over the years. Um, Starting out with people like Mark Laton, who was, uh, you know, one of the forerunners of PBATS, and Herm Schneider, who for the longest time was the longest tenured head athletic trainer in baseball. So people like that early on in my career when I was a kid starting out that gave me their time was just, it was invaluable. And it was just such a, uh, I, I thought everyone got that time, but they didn't. And that's where now I look back and I realize how fortunate I was. And then when I started moving along in my career, obviously people that were here within my organization, like Kevin Moran and Doug Peter, um, those were great kind of leaders and mentors that I've had in house. But then what PBATS has allowed me to do is, is start to have a voice and a presence with some of the other professionals in, in the, in the game, you know, from Ron Porterfield to Jamie Reed, to Tom Probst, to, uh, you know, Roger Kaplinger, you start these relationships and you ask these questions uh, of these athletic trainers. And if they give you their time, you know, you, you better take advantage of it. And I, I feel like I always have. Um, and that's where, you know, I feel a lot of the growth of, of a, a leader and a professional in this setting happens from is, is taking those risks of, of reaching out to some of these people that you think in the game are, are unapproachable and they've done so much and they've had so many years. Uh, and you just realize like, you know what, they were in my shoes at one point and they, they're paying it forward now. And and the same thing now that I've been a few years into my career is now I'm starting to have people I've hired or people that were interns here that are, are, in baseball or out of baseball. And I just had an intern send me the book, a uh, former intern that sent me a book that he wrote, um, you know, last, last month. So it's, it's things like that where you, you never know the, the, the path that you cross with these individuals in the game or in the profession and how they're going to affect you and, and how they're going to, to steer you in the, in the path that you've, you've created. Yeah, that's great insight for everybody listening. And, and obviously um, many of our listeners are athletic training students. Um, I think a, a ton of them would be very interested to hear about the life of a minor league medical and rehab coordinator. Uh, I'm sure many people outside of athletic training and the profession itself might be less familiar with that role. First, can you let our listeners know the, the main duties and responsibilities of that job? Sure. And to be honest with you, my parents still don't even quite know what I do for a <laughs> living. So it, it's really okay. And, it, and um, so I have to explain my role a lot um, because it's, so you work for the Detroit Tigers. That's right. So you're in Detroit. No. Okay. So you're with one of the minor league teams. Well, no, that's not quite it either. So it's one of those those jobs, it's very unique to our setting, very unique to our profession. But basically, what a, uh, and to that end, all 30 teams consider their position a little bit different. They run their position a little bit different. Their responsibilities are a little bit different. There's always a uh, far reaching type idea of what this role does, but it's very individualized per organization and, and skill strengths and, and things along those lines. But there's, there's both uh, clinical and, and administrative aspects to this job. So, there's uh, obviously long-term rehabilitations that go into it. It's, it's preparing for spring training. Uh, so there's a lot of that clinical side still available, but there's also a lot of the administrative side. So I deal with a lot of players' insurance issues. I deal with um, the, the physicals during spring training. Uh, we do a, a, a lot of the 
ancillary things like uh, players that need therapeutic use exemption. So I'll, I'll handle that a little bit. So there's, there's just a, uh, a bigger scope of, of pieces to this puzzle of what this position does. And then on top of it, most often with most clubs, you're the direct supervisor for the minor league athletic trainer. So we have nine to 11, depending on the year, certified athletic trainers that are working at our minor league affiliates and working at our complexes and I'm their direct supervisor. So we're, we're there to be a sounding board to make sure that policy and procedure is carried out the right way to make sure that uh, morale is up and keep everything moving forward. So uh, there's a lot of hats that the medical coordinator wears. Uh, there's also, you know, a front office tie to it where we're doing medical reviews on pro- uh, prospective free agents that we're signing and the draft comes into it as well. So now all these amateur players we're we're giving risk assessment assessments and making sure that we're giving our front office all the information they need. And, and uh, so it's, it's basically like being the head athletic trainer uh, for the minor leagues where you have a lot of different people pulling you in a lot of different directions, but you have to make sure that you're kind of on top of all of those different facets uh, to make sure that everything runs smoothly. That seems like an incredible amount of responsibility, first of all, um, but also an extremely fulfilling job. I mean, you with your hands on, on the minor league aspects, working with your major league staff as well. That, that seems like an awesome opportunity uh, for those wondering what is the path that most people in your position take to land a job as a medical coordinator for a major league baseball club? Um, are there a number of different paths? Is there a singular path that many have followed? Uh, if you could elaborate on that, that'd be great. Sure. So I think one of the ways that you end up in a position like this is you just, you, you hang around the ballpark all the time and you're, you're seen by everybody and you're, you, you show passion, you show love for what you do. And that's what kind of creates your ability to be, start becoming a leader and, and being um, a, a, a voice in a lot of these meetings and in these realms. So I think one of the things is you got to have a passion for the profession. You got to have a passion for where you're at and, and you've got to want more of yourself. That's, that's the number one kind of characteristic and uh, character trait, I would say for being a medical coordinator. But as far as the path, it's usually you start, as a minor league athletic trainer, whatever level you, you end up in. And, and some people will change based off life experience and life changes. So maybe they want to start a family because it's, it's not as much travel in this role. You're not with a team. So sometimes it's the athletic trainer that's come up through the minor leagues and you know what, maybe they want to have a family. Maybe they want to do more administrative work. Maybe that's one of their skill sets. So it's, it's definitely not a position where everybody fits it. Not everybody even wants it, but um, the, the athletic trainer that, that has a sense of, of bigger purpose, that's who really kind of fits these roles the best because there, there is so much asked of you and you have to be able to give that to, to your players, to your profession and to your organization. And you're managing such a huge role uh, with the Detroit Tigers organization. Seeing as you ha- have your hands on the pulse of every affiliate, um, in addition to that, What's the communication like with the major league athletic training staff on a day-to-day basis? Sure. So, you know, you look at communication is the biggest buzzword in every facet of, of business that everybody wants to do it better. And everybody says they don't do it well. And uh, I feel that as athletic trainers, because we're constantly communicating, we're constantly trading currency with, with our players. And we're, we're constantly talking with front office and there's so many different stakeholders that, that our world revolves around is communication is such a big piece to our world that 
I feel we do a better job than most at making sure that things aren't missed and things aren't, uh, you know, communicated effectively. So for me, I'll, I'll speak with our head athletic trainer or our director of medical services, whoever I, and most times both of them on a daily basis, whether that be about, uh, an injury in the minor leagues, whether that be a long-term rehab that we have in Lakeland, that's, you know, being overseen by me, but, you know, uh, obviously our head athletic trainer has a lot of stake in the game there too on, on his return. And, so that there's constant communication on all of the, the player end of things for sure. That's just a, a, a no brainer. They have to be able to know because there's people that are asking them questions and they have to be able to speak, you know, intelligently on the situation because it only looks, you know, poor on all of us. If uh, you know, they have to turn around and say, well, let me make a call and see if I can get that answer for you. So being able to make sure that they have all the information they need is, is critical and clutch for all of us to, to do what we do and make sure our players move forward. And then on top of it, it, it is also, we're not in just the, the business of making players better. We're in the business of making athletic trainers better and stronger. And so that communication is how do we, how do we lean into some of the strengths of our, our sports medicine staff in the minor leagues? How can we make them better? How do, how do we give them more support to, to get them the goals that they want to achieve? So there's, there's much more to it than, say, even 10 years ago when I started this position of the conversations we're having. It's now gone straight from only player and only you know sports medicine focus and what the daily issues are in the minor leagues to, okay, now we got to start looking at a 30,000-foot view here of how do we make how do we create a, a, a better content for the culture that we're trying to create here? And how do we make our, how do we lift up our athletic trainers and make them stronger uh, as individuals to make our entire group uh, a much more cohesive and strong uh, system? That's great. And, and Corey, earlier you mentioned Gene Monahan, uh, longtime Yankees athletic trainer, an absolute legend in the profession. Uh, besides Gino, who were some of the role models you looked up to in the field of athletic training, whether that's Kevin Rand with the Tigers or anyone outside of your organization as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first one that really comes to mind is, is Herm Schneider. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be in grad school at the same time that his daughter was a softball player there. So he would come down in the fall and watch softball games and I would bug him from the stands and pick his brain and ask some questions. So having Hermie as, as a sounding board over the years and being just a, a beacon of support for me has been, been great. Um, and then, as I said, you know, getting into PBATS and that's where my growth really has taken off is because I volunteer, because I want to do more with PBATS, because I feel like that's, that's leadership in a nutshell. You can be a leader at work and that's great, but if true leaders are ones that are giving service outside of their day-to-day positional leadership. So that's where I feel like my relationships and, and my, my network has kind of grown with some of these big names in, in sports medicine. Obviously, Gene Monahan was one of them early on that I got to, to meet and know a little bit, but Mark Laton, Larry Starr, uh, Ron Porterfield, Jamie Reed, these are, these are the big names in sports medicine that, you know, I've been able to, to pick their brain now. And now we've become colleagues versus a mentor peer type relationship. And then one step further, it's the physicians um, because of the wealth of knowledge that they have and the support that they've given athletic training and PBATS from Dr. Andrews to Keith Meister, to Dr. Elitrosh to Dr. Tom Graham, Dr. Eaton, all of these people have taken, uh, you know, a liking to the questions that I have them and, and want to make me better. And I, I can't thank them enough either for, for all that they've done to kind of push me up and, and push me forward. 
And like you said, you've had the opportunity to pick the brains of some of the most legendary and influential athletic trainers in the profession. Um, now you are in a kind of a u- unique position as you grow in your career where people are coming to you for advice. So when that happens, what is some of the best advice you can provide to younger athletic trainers working professionally or students just looking to get into professional baseball athletic training, uh, whether that's an internship with PBATS or, or anything like that? What, what would you, um, you know, tell the, the students who are looking to break in? So you're right. The, the thing that's kind of uh, an, an awkward moment is when you all of a sudden start getting the questions. And that, that happened a few years ago, uh, especially during the COVID time when I uh, ended up being a po- point person for a lot of the minor league athletic trainers. So having that voice now of somebody that's been there and, and is looked up to by other athletic trainers, it's, it's a strange change and shift in your career, but it's something I've welcomed that I, I really enjoy. And, and I've taken that one step further with the students that I talk to and, and with the possible interns and possible full-time employees that we interview is, you know, the, the, the main thing in any piece of athletic training, it's trying to find out what your main goal is and then working backwards. So if you want to be a head athletic trainer in major league baseball, if you want to be a director of sports medicine, in major league baseball, if you want to be head athletic trainer in football, okay, now we have our end goal. Let's take steps backwards. How are we going to attain that goal? And I feel that there's so many students, especially in today's world that they just see opportunities and they want to jump at every opportunity or they want to go down a different opportunity because it's got, uh, some sort of pomp and circumstance behind it, or if it has uh, a big sport behind it or a big team or a big city behind it, and they kind of get off track of what their end goal is. So everything that you should do as a, a student coming up should focus towards whatever that end goal is. So if you want to work in professional baseball and you want to be a head athletic trainer in professional baseball, well, step one would be, how do I get my foot in the door? You know, and is that through an internship? Is that just getting certified and applying and then taking my lumps in my first year is never having that experience, but there's opportunities out there and uh, don't ever feel like one opportunity is the only opportunity. You know, you, you have to really look at each opportunity as an individual opportunity and go, you know what, if this one doesn't work out, the next one's going to be even bigger and better for me. And this is how I'm going to take my career to the next level. So that's the message I like to give to uh, the, the students that I'm, I'm speaking with and, and possible interns, possible full-time employees is, hey, what are, what are your goals? Because they're going to be different than mine. And for a long time, I tried to put my own goals on a lot of the people that I worked with and that worked under me and, all the, and, and in that regard. And, and that wasn't a good way for me to be a leader and a good way for me to try to you know, bring up our department. So it took years for me to step back and go, no, no, I need to find out what is makes this person tick, what this person sees of themselves. And then we've got to figure out how to get that path from present moment to that end goal. What do we have to do now to get them to where they need to go? So that's, that's basically my message to, to the students of today is find out what you want to do, make that your end goal, and let's figure out the path to get there. Yeah, that's really great advice for students and and other young professionals uh, to hear from you. Um, I'd like to take it back a bit to earlier when you discussed your your career path in athletic training. Uh, as some listeners may know, last week we talked with Ben Potenziano of the Marlins, and he did an awesome job of sharing with our listeners that athletic training isn't just showing up for the game, providing care for athletes. There's much more to it than that. 
So Corey, can you share more insight into, you know, if there is a quote unquote normal day in the life of someone in your position? So that's what's nice about this position. There is normal-ish hours, but there's definitely never a normal day. So it's it's a much more locked in day-to-day schedule. So it's, it starts early in the morning. We're, we're first shift athletic trainers in baseball so that we can be available for the second shift athletic trainers, which is the major league team and then all of our affiliates that play at night. So having the ability to be there for those athletic trainers and those athletes, um, most times via phone, but being available during that time without having my attention taken any place else is really uh, the main, the main goal of the, the medical coordinator. So my day starts anywhere between six and seven in the morning and there's administrative work that goes into it. So that might be a bunch of emails and they could be from doctors. They could be from front office. They could be from the other athletic trainers. It could be anyone within the organization where I may have a, a role in their, their day to day. I, I catch up on that. That's, that's the main piece to, to uh, my position. And my wife, unfortunately hates my, my phone and she thinks there's not a person that's on it more than I am. And that's uh, a tough piece to this role, but it's, it's being available 25 hours, eight days a week is, is a, a critical piece to being the medical coordinator and, and to doing the job effectively. Um, obviously, that, that takes its toll on some of the work-life balance, but being an athletic trainer in baseball also has issues as a work-life balance. So um, it's just trying to navigate all of that and making sure that you have time away from from your job and understanding that some things do have to wait until tomorrow. But then, you know, if your role as a medical coordinator has to deal with long-term rehabilitation, that's usually a morning thing. So we're usually getting those players, whether they're major league players, minor league players, post-op, just long-term injuries. We'll, we'll bring them to Florida where we have the the best weather, the best facilities. We'll give them a, a better attention than the athletic trainer at the team could because they have to get that team ready to take the field every night. So we pull those athletes out of that situation and put them in their own situation so that they get better attention, better care, and also vice versa, the players at the affiliates get better attention and better care. So that will take up the majority of our morning and into early afternoon, whether that be you know baseball-specific work that we're doing with our players, whether that be rehabilitation, whether that be post-op treatment, care, and management. Um, that's where all of that comes into play in our, our morning session. And in the afternoon, it's making myself available for now front office questions, uh, my affiliate athletic trainers, those athletes, what issues, what, what problems are popping up. Then we take it to the house around dinner time, which is, you would think would be a great way to, to finish the, the day, but nope. Now we have five games to worry about. So now I'm, I'm watching either on game tracker, I'm watching the games to, to see if anybody's getting hurt during the games. And if a player does get hurt, now I have to be the conduit of information from the affiliate to the front office. So it's a, it's a very long day, but again, it takes a certain person that wants to have that, that responsibility and wants to have that, that type of, of, of world to, to really make sure that everything is, is taken care of. So Basically, it's a, a, a long day of just communicating with other people to make sure that all stakeholders and all situations have what they need uh, to move forward with decisions. 
that's an extremely demanding schedule as anyone who just heard you, you talk about that could agree. Um, but really awesome to think about how much insight you have into the entire Tigers organization from top to bottom. Um, being really involved must, must be very fulfilling. Uh, you mentioned in your answer there, the rehab and treatment aspect in your day to day. Uh, I want to dive deeper now into that aspect as well. So it seems like the products and innovations in the field of athletic training have really been incredible um, when it comes to taking care of the athletes on your team. Can you talk a bit about the technological advancements in athletic training that you've seen over your career? Absolutely. And that's still the fun part of the job, right? We're, we're constantly, as athletic trainers, wanting to work with players. That's, that's what we went to school for. That's why we chose athletic training. It wasn't to do billing and paperwork and submitting forms and talking to the commissioner's office. Those are all pieces to the job, but the the main focus, the main fun of athletic training and what everyone that gets into this profession really loves to do is working with athletes. So over the years, what's been great is that, you know, PBATS has been in the forefront of pushing both education and innovation within our professional baseball realm. So, we have athletes that work with other professionals during the off season and they'll come back with, Oh, I use this machine or I use this potion or I use this type uh, system in the off season. Well, it's our duty to make sure that we're on the cutting edge of all of this information. And PBATS has always been that, that, that place that all of that starts where we, we meet and we talk and we listen to vendors and we, we take meetings with different companies and different products. Um, and it's great too, because MLB is also in the same realm as PBATS, where it's pushing these initiatives and making sure that we're giving player health and care uh, the, the undivided attention that it needs and making sure that we're, we're staying ahead of the curve and not on the curve or behind the curve. So what we did 10 years ago, you know, to be honest with you, what we did 10 minutes ago sometimes is different. Um, and there's just been a, a bigger push with uh with technology as far as as player tracking so now we're we're trying to figure out readiness scores and we're trying to figure out uh fatigue levels and hydration levels and then on top of it we're really pushing recovery so there's so many more different modalities that we're we're encompassing um uh, in our athletic training facilities that are really pushing recovery and we're diving further into sleep sciences and uh major league baseball it became, uh, you know, took on a sponsor with Charlotte's Web at the CBD company and the cannabis landscape is such a, a big piece to the, the research. So there's there's constant innovation going on and it's driven because of the professionals in PBATS and MLB that feel that we need to give our athletes everything possible to make sure that they're putting out the best product and that they're safe and healthy when they go out and take the field. And Corey, you, you mentioned briefly there Charlotte's Web and, and the CBD partnership uh, with Major League Baseball. Uh, what could you share more with, with people on the outside about how that's going to impact the game going forward, the players in your care and everything related to that? So I think this is a, a great landscape for athletics to really dive into now. I think the stigma of, of cannabis is, is kind of deteriorating and it's not looked at the same way. Um, and again, this is not uh, anything but education for what it possibly could do and how it could possibly affect a player and make them better. Um, and again, this is not, this space is, is such a evolving space and it's not something that 
you know, to, to my point earlier where 10 minutes ago, things have changed even in this space of, of, of where it could be and, and what we could move forward with. But what it allows our players to have is another safe, reliable product and a safe, reliable means to recovery, to, to better sleep, to a lot of the things that unfortunately we in the past had used products and different things that may not have been as safe. And um, it's unfortunate because it was just what we had available at the time. Now we have this, this great science and this evolving uh, understanding of, of this space. And we really are starting to see that there is huge benefit to, you know, CBD and in, especially in our recovery. And it's, it's not something that's looked down as, as uh, a deterrent. And the fact that MLB and PBATS is in full support of this is now just allowing us to educate our athletes on one more way of making their bodies healthier and making their, their success greater and their product on the field better. Yeah, that's great insight. Obviously, the goal is to uh, treat the players with the best possible care. So it makes sense that adding those tools is super helpful. Um, you know, anyone that knows you shifting gears here a little bit knows how passionate you are about the profession of athletic training uh, and growing your skills in the game. When it comes to that passion, a lot of athletic trainers we've spoken to really enjoy seeing an injured player back on the field or, and things like that. Um, is that something that really means a lot to you or is there something else in the profession that really fulfills you as a person? You know, early on in my career, it was always about the player getting back in that moment. And it still is. Don't get me wrong. That's still such a big piece to, to our world. But as I've gotten older and, and taken more of a leadership role in you know, my organization and, and also in, in PBATS is seeing those around me, you know, lift up and, and, and do great things is, is there's now it's more of when I see my A ball athletic trainer or my AAA athletic trainer, get a player back in, in a quick amount of time and they go out and they have three, four night or they throw six innings shutout or what have you. That's now great because we've now created this net for this athletic trainer to grow and succeed. And now they're in turn getting their athletes better, faster and more effectively and safely. So I think it's now just kind of shifted gears from, it was all about me and the work I did with my athlete in front of me to now it's like, no, the work that's done behind the scenes to create this atmosphere is what is now the most fulfilling for me. And talk a little bit about that return to play aspect. I know there's a number of things that are fulfilling for you as an athletic trainer and a leader of minor league affiliates. Um, but in returning to play and getting those athletes back on the field, how gratifying can that be for you and for your staff overall? I mean, that's the, the best feeling in the world. I mean, we, we, we constantly are, are pushing our athletes to, to limits to try to get them to, to do things bigger, better, faster, stronger, all these different, uh, you know, buzzwords, if you will. But when we're able to, to play a major role in returning a, uh, an athlete to play, there's no better feeling. Uh, that's, that's why you get into the game. You don't get in to learn a new shoulder exercise. You don't get into the profession to, like I said, do administrative work. You get into the profession to have a, a, a strong effect on getting that athlete from injured to healthy or keeping an, a healthy, healthy. And, you know, when, when you're a supervisor, you're, you're seeing this, it lifts up the entire department. When a player comes back and they either thank us in the media or they send a post-game text or, or any of those little things that goes such a long way for us, for the profession as a whole, because anytime any athletic trainer does something great, it helps the entire profession. 
whether that be the situation with the the Bills and the Bengals a few weeks ago with Demar Hamlin. I mean, that lifts up athletic training as a whole. And we see it day-to-day with players in, in our game when they're coming back from long-term surgeries. Those are the big pieces that it doesn't just – it's such a bigger moment for the entire profession and the entire organization, the entire everything than just yourself. And that's what's so great about sports medicine and athletic training. And to touch on the the Bengals and Bills and obviously the DeMar Hamlin situation, that was, you know, chilling for many people, um, even just viewers of of sports and sports fans in general. But as an athletic trainer uh, in the profession, how did that make you feel? And how how cool is it to see some of your colleagues in different sports in the NFL, for example, really, you know, take center stage and, and do such an amazing job with that situation? Yeah, it, it was a great example of athletic trainers and sports medicine professionals doing what we're trained to do, and they showed the best of what we were capable of that night. That was truly incredible, and the, the outcome was, was directly related to the work that was done on that field. Uh, there, there's no doubt about it in my mind, and I think a lot of clinicians and, and sports medicine professionals across the country would agree. It, it's just, it shows you what preparation, what diligence, what wanting to make sure that we have every T cross and every I dotted. That's, that's what can happen when you, when you care and have a passion for the profession. And, and that's uh, no bigger stage than that. And uh, what, what it did was, what's interesting is it, it also gave us as clinicians across the board, a little wake up call, like, Hey, make sure you're doing things right. Make sure that you're practicing your EAP, make sure you're going above and beyond and checking everything and talking with the other team and making sure you know where, where emergency personnel is during a game or, or a practice. So um, I feel like obviously it's a big prideful moment for us, but it's also a time to reflect on our, our own houses and go, okay, are we in order here? Because that's what happens when everything goes perfect. And those professionals couldn't have done it in a better light or a better manner and uh, that just really showed what, what sports medicine and athletic training is capable of. And, and I, I'm very proud of the work they did. Yeah, as we all are, it was really an amazing scene. Um, and getting a player back on the field, like we talked about earlier, obviously priority number one for the athletic training staff. Um, and part of part of doing that is growing your skill set and, and staying sharp, like you mentioned. I know you're certified in a number of different sports medicine areas, obviously a certified athletic trainer. Uh, can you share some information with the listeners and most importantly, athletic training students about the overall importance of staying certified, um, continuing your education, and just the constant drive that you've shown to learn more about the profession of athletic training and adding on to your skill sets? Absolutely. Um, and for the longest time early in my career, I wanted everything that I could do hands-on. I wanted every massage technique. I wanted every dry needling course. I wanted every uh, manipulation course. If, if there was something that could be hands-on to help my player on a day-to-day, that's what I wanted to do. And, and luckily enough, when you're in a, a setting like this, we're not just asked to stay up to speed with the newest and the best, like it's a demand on us to make sure that we stay up to speed on the newest and the best. So we're constantly being pushed by our own organizations to get better. And so it works out very well because we're able to to take these courses and, and grow our skill set that way. But, you know, in recent years, the, the change is just to how I looked at my continuing education. And although all of that is still important, I still do continuing ed 
opportunities with manual therapies and, and different things that helped me as a clinician. One of the big pieces that I've recently taken uh, head on is I've gone back to school to get my doctorate of athletic training uh, at Florida International University uh, because that program really focuses on leadership, focuses on uh, an entrepreneurial mindset, and also focuses on a, a globalization of sports medicine and athletic training. So it, it's taking one step past just being a great clinician and going, okay, how can I make those around me better? How can I change my mindset? How can I change my thinking of a situation? And how can I take, you know, all the pieces that I know clinically and now add this piece on and help a department and, and create a culture, you know, and people always think that, that an individual creates a culture. And I'm a firm believer that the content creates culture. It's not an individual, it's, it's content. So how can I help drive the content that our sports medicine department is is creating or 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 doing to make sure that the culture of our whole organization from top down in all facets is is growing and improving. So I think that's been the biggest change in my focus is it's just been not as heavy hands-on, which I'm still doing obviously, but it's it's now saying, okay, there's so many aspects to athletic training that just you know, the day-to-day clinical skills are great and you need those and, and they're uh, wonderful to keep honing in on, but there's other parts to this and bigger parts to this that you have to continue to, to focus on. And PBAS is such a proponent of education that when I told my colleagues that I was going back to school, obviously they thought I was nuts and I still think I may have been a little bit too, but the support that I got from those around me was great. And, and that's where professional baseball has really set me up to take on this challenge, especially while doing my day-to-day work because of that network around me and, and how the profession has, has, you know, pushed me to have so many hats and, and have so many responsibilities. Uh, finding an hour or two a day to carve out time for this is something that now I enjoy doing and I've been prepared for because of all the different time management skills that I've kind of learned through my years in professional baseball. Corey, this has been awesome. Um, you've shared so much quality information that students and even young professionals can take forward in their careers. Uh, to wrap up today's episode, we're going to finish with a quick Q&A segment that we call Extra Bases. Uh, in this segment, I'm going to ask you four quick questions to share some insight into some of your favorite things about athletic training. So we'll start out at first base. Uh, you've made a handful of stops along the way to your current role with the Tigers. What was your favorite, most enjoyable stop along the way as you worked your way toward where you are today? It has to be uh, our, at the time, low A affiliate in Grand Rapids, Michigan, our West Michigan Whitecaps. Uh, I met my wife there my second year working there. So I have to say that if for no other reason but that. Clearly a, a very important milestone for, for you and your family there. Um, <laughs> That's right. Making our way to second base. One piece of advice you got during your career um, from a colleague or, or a mentor that's always stuck with you throughout your time? It would be, you have to know what you're going to do with the information you get. So if you're going to seek out the information, you better have a plan with what you're going to do with that information. So uh, this profession is something where you ask questions. So if you're going to ask the question, you better be okay with the answer and know what to do with it. Great. That, that's super helpful. Uh, moving on to third base, we know you mentioned Grand Rapids and the importance that that, that place has in your life. Um, what is your favorite city to visit on the road when traveling? So this is an easy one because it's just right around the corner, but I love going over to Tampa. Uh, I just I went to grad school in Tampa and I just love that city in general. So anytime we go over to play spring training against the Yankees, the Phillies, any anywhere over there on the 
on the West coast of Florida is, is all good for me. Gotcha. And, and moving on toward home plate here. Um, you've been in baseball for a long time, uh, done some awesome things in your career, uh, including pursuing your doctorate as well, which is amazing. Um, but when it comes to professional baseball, did, did you have a welcome to professional baseball moment at some point during your first year um, or in your time in general as the medical coordinator for the Tigers? One of the things that I remember early on as an intern, I was able to make a lot of mistakes, but uh, I remember bringing a player over to uh, a doctor in, in St. Petersburg and he wanted to take his car. And when I got in it and realized that the rims probably cost what my car cost. Uh, that was my moment where I said, okay, things are a little bit different. Uh, and he let me drive it on the way home, which was even more ridiculous because, it, uh, I, at 22 years old should not have been doing that. <laughs> and, uh, and it was the one and only time I've ever driven in a car like that. And, uh, I'll never forget that moment. Yeah. The, uh, the subtle differences between the, the athletic training staff and the players can be, uh, quite apparent at times, I'm sure. Um, well, Corey, Absolutely. thanks so much for joining the show. Um, as always, we really appreciate your time, uh, and your dedication to PBATS and just the overall profession of athletic training. And we hope to have you on the show again soon. Thanks so much, Sam. I really appreciate your time. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for listening to Inside Athletic Training, a podcast from the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainer Society, a show for athletic training students, educators, and professionals who want to learn more about life as an athletic trainer in major and minor league baseball. If you've enjoyed the show, head over to pbats.com to gain access to other free resources. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks again for listening.